Certified, qualified West Side host Steve Lucky Luciano. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into the greatest show on earth. It's a hard luck show. Sitting across from me is my partner Chumahan, and uh, Chumahan, we got a special show today, don't we? Right. This is the final installment of um, the series that we've been doing on California solitary confinement today. CDCR retaliation, confidential informants, and merger yards is the subject mm-hmm. and this is in conjunction with California families against solid uh, to abolish solitary, solitary confinement. confinement yes right produced by uh Danny, Danny Marillo, right? right? Greatest producer of all time. Underground scholar. Right. Producing the next Bond installment, if you don't know already. <laughs> exactly. All right. And also funded by Unlock the Box in conjunction with the Hard Luck Show, yeah. the hardest show on earth. On earth. And today we are bringing Dolores Canales, co-founder of California Families to Abolish Solitary Confinement. Is that right, Dolores? Yes, that's right. And also, Dolores, what other credits do you got? Please don't be humble. Please let us know what else uh, you're... Tell us. Uh, Well, I'm, um, I'm a commissioner on the Los Angeles Probation Oversight Committee, appointed by Supervisor Janice Hahn. I'm also a director for community engagement with the Bail Project, and you know I've just done some stuff here and there, but wow. just a little here and there, a little this, a little yeah, that. a little Not bit the of this major saving lives. Right. Speaking of saving lives, we have Savage Savedra, Michael Savedra, Savage Savedra, Savage Savedra with us. Uh, what are you working on right now, Michael? What's going on? That's your firm name over here, buddy. Right. Okay. Go ahead. I'm um, wrapping up this uh, quarter <clears throat> at UCLA in Indigenous and Chicano Studies, yeah. uh, Central American Studies, um, finishing up my BA, which hopefully I have about two more quarters left. Mm. Um, I also applied to the UCLA Law Fellows because, you know, I want to be a lawyer, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've been doing the work and putting in the work, too. So hopefully all this work comes to uh, fruition and and it happens. Michael, would you ever go to work for uh, Chumahan if the opportunity ever arose? Hell yeah. He'll be a great mentor. Yo, uh, I think I see something in the works here, brother. <laughs> Listen, any way that I can be of support on your journey to that place, right? So you need a letter of recommendation, right? I've seen your work. Mm-hmm. I've seen your rhetorical argument skills in, in, in action. And it would be my honor to give you a letter of recommendation. There it is there. Right? From an attorney that's, I mean, I've, I've done class actions. I've done everything. I took down banks. Damn. That's true, actually. Wachovia yeah. doesn't exist partially because I was on a team that took them down. That, that was a few years ago with the laundering cartel money. Uh, well, yeah, huh? yeah. Well, our case was actually not just that, but our case was uh, the... Uh, option arm loans where they told everybody you can just pick what what you want to pay and it's all going to be cool we took down countrywide wachovia all of them wound up settling and they no longer exist that's and they used to prey upon um people of color primarily right and people uh Absol- and economic uh uh poverty 
Absolutely. And Absolutely. And that was at a time, too, where they were saying, essentially, like, uh, you could take out a loan and buy a house you can't afford. And the underwriters, for whatever, all throughout American history, people with suits would say, like, you don't have enough money to get a loan. Except for this window, all of a sudden, it didn't matter how much you made. And they just sold all this stuff out, and then they called it all back in at another point in time. But that's another injustice. But right now we're here to talk about an injustice that's ongoing and in front of us. Yes. And uh, CDCR retaliation, confidential informants, and merger yards. Dolores Miscanales, uh, Senator from California. Uh, listen, let me know. I'll be part of your action committee. What, um, w- where should we start in this topic? What do you think is maybe one of the foundational, most important parts of this topic? Um, I think it would go with the confidential informants, probably, mm-hmm. uh, you know, being the foundation. Um, it's been a very problematic tool that uh, California Departments of Corrections has, uh, you know, utilized for decades, but not just CDC. I mean, law enforcement in general, right? Yes. You know, where you get the uh. informant that is willing to say anything against another individual, and now this person's character is based on how much information he can provide on another human being. But where the problem comes is then since they're a confidential informant, that human being that they're making allegations against has no due process to question or to debate, uh, you know, what is being brought forth against them. So uh, I think, um, you know, Michael Saavedra, that's why it's such an honor to be on this show with him, because he's, you know, he has been affected by confidential information. Uh, He's, you know brought forth some legal actions against the yard mergers and he's an expert of his experience when i was in prison i did have six confidential informants and um and they were all not true they it really was not true the allegations that they were making against me uh some of the allegations that they were making against me was that i was this huge drug trafficker on the prison yard while in fact i was a drug user but Anybody would tell you at that time, it didn't matter how much I had, I was not going to try to get rid of it and right. sell it, right? So so really, the truth of the matter was, if you would have said I was a drug user, but because they were in trouble trying to get themselves out of their own problems that they got into, you know, they just exaggerated the allegations against me. Real quick, so what type of person generally uh, do prison confidential informants, who are they? Like, what kind of persons do they, they pull? Do they... Are these people that are in trouble inside the prison or how does that work? Um, Yes, people inside the prison that are usually looking to get out of their own problems. They're usually looking to get out of trouble that they've gotten themselves into that, you know, with solitary confinement. They were trying to get out of solitary confinement. And I mean, here's a, a really good, you know, for years, CDC used to say, all of those housed in shoe were manipulators. They were the worst of the worst. They were criminals. Right. But mm-hmm. the minute you would stand up and say, excuse me, officer, I want to give you information on another human mm-hmm. being. Uh-huh. Okay, how can one second you say I'm all these things, but the minute I'm willing to say anything against another individual, now all of a sudden I'm considered trustworthy and credible. So that just shows the contradictions of their own methods, you know? Yeah. It shows that it's arbitrary, that distinction, and it shows that when it suits the CDC's purpose, then they'll say somebody is whatever they want them to be. Mm-hmm. Now, let me ask you this. Why is it CDC 
Arr. R. Right. Why is it CDCR retaliation? What's the retaliation part of that, Michael? Um, I first want to say I hope it's okay with Dolores, but this is crazy. Like being here, I don't know about. I believe in like things are meant to be, but I was with Dolores's son in Corcoran shoe in the shoe. He was he was like three cells down from me, and all this ties in. I say this because. He was a jailhouse lawyer, too. He was fighting against the system for retaliation, and he won a lawsuit. Wow. And I was in the same predicament fighting these cops, these crooked cops that were trying to um, harass me and and retaliate against me for helping other prisoners and even suing them, right, for their their injustices that they do to people inside. But I just wanted to highlight the importance of that, how, how... how related and connected and how small of a world this is, right? Because um, I learned from him, too. We both used to go to the law library, and we used to, like, use the same case law, share case law, right? Um, So I just wanted to highlight that, that I think Dolores is wonderful, man, and and just her experience and just being here now and also working on the mergers of the yards. But I will tell you about the type of people. Your question was the type of people that they choose to uh to intimidate was that your question i'm sorry no no my question was like typically what kind of people are the informants that you know what what what's going on there so you you have to understand too like their whole and this is documented right this is documented historically um they had a a a underground policy that was snitch die or parole which was the only way you were getting out of this solitary confinement, right? And for those who don't know about solitary, and this all especially took place like in the 80s and 90s when they started validating people for being prison gang members or associates based on, you know, um, your own cultural stuff, indigenous cultural stuff, Swahili, um, African indigenous culture, um, social justice culture, like like the Black Panthers and George Jackson, the Brown right. Berets, etc. Right? right. So you have to understand that they were putting people in there and their whole policy at that time, because they wanted to control the prisons. They wanted to control the social justice movement that was going on outside with the Black Panthers, the Brown Berets, the AIM, the Indian movement, all these things that were coming together. They wanted to stop organizers in prison from organizing further and disrupting their 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 oppression, right? Right. And keeping people um, confined and silenced, right? Right. So one of the things that they started, were, were, well, initially their whole process was based on racist, straight racist uh, policies, right? Right. So most most of the time, this whole thing when they started um, building these new shoes in the 1990 when they built Pelican Bay, which can now hold more people right because they needed a bigger uh solitary confinement uh facility because of the rate that they were just validating and putting people in solitary confinement based on these uh racist gang um uh, validation processes right so when they opened up pelican bay they started just validating a lot of people and once they put people in there if you go to this one case called gomez uh, Madrid, v. Madrid Gomez. versus Gomez, yeah. right? It's yeah. a horror story. Mm. That's what opened the door about this new Supermax that was an experiment, right, based mm. off of Colorado, the Supermax inside uh, the federal prisons. And I think Professor Ryder said Arizona. Yes, Arizona right. especially, the uh, ADX or whatever yeah, it is, exactly. right? Yeah, exactly. So, and, and also moving people from these older prisons like San Quentin, right, death yeah. row, 
uh, uh, the adjustment center, um, old Folsom, right, mm. into this new uh, state-of-the-art uh, solitary confinement housing supermax um, that's like a bunker, right? Mm-hmm. So when they opened this up, they needed to put bodies. They were already crowded in Corcoran, uh, new Folsom, Tehachapi shoe, these new newer shoes. But now... Once they started doing this whole uh, classification process of validating people and sending them there indeterminately, right, meaning forever, and their policy was you either snitch, parole, or die. That was the only way you would be released from solitary confinement. A lot of men could not, and women, um, I'm not sure about the process too, but I believe it's the same type of process for women. But I know from my experience in the shoe, I've seen a lot of men um, break right. You read the 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 stories in uh, uh, Gomez Madrid versus Gomez. Right. Men breaking down, hanging themselves, smearing themselves with feces. Right. Hearing things. Right. It's, we're talking about sensory deprivation. Right. We're not just talking about oh being in in your room with the TV or, or or you know being able to or locked up in your house for the day. Right. Right. We're talking about for decades keeping people uh, in in isolation. Right. Right. I've read uh, just recently I was reading a couple of experiments where they actually paid people to go into the solitary confinement and they were given like a monetary reward. Like if you can stay in here for X amount of time because they were studying what is this doing to people and people were losing their shit and they were get and they decided to quit like after one day, two days, three days instead of riding it all the way out and getting the money. That's how actually de- how terrible or difficult it really is to be in a cell uh, with this kind of sensory deprivation. And those cells that we saw in the pictures, it's like, it's just molded concrete. Like, it's That's not it. right. So, De- so Dolores, um, so also, so the retaliation then, I take it then, and maybe you can speak to this too, comes from prisoners deciding that they're going to test and or file a lawsuit, which is their right. Mm-hmm. And make the CDC or have some kind of effect on the policies. Is that what the retaliation was? Right. Many of the individuals that you found housed in solitary confinement um, were, in fact, jailhouse lawyers themselves. So they were always utilizing the 602 process, which is the prison appeal process. If there was an injustice, they can appeal it, right? And then it gets heard on different levels. But it was CDC overseeing itself, really, you know, because this was even one of the things brought up during the uh, Senate and the Assembly hearings was, who do you answer to? And they don't. They answer to each other. So, um, you know, when you see somebody that's always raising issues and encouraging others to speak out on behalf of injustices, I remember my son, he was like 24 years old, right? And uh, and he wrote to me complaining, not, not complaining, but um he said, all these youngsters coming in, Mom, he said, and some of them don't even know how to read or write. And I see that the way that the officers treat them and he would get, you know, he would get fueled. He would get fueled with a passion to to say, we're not going to take this shit. You know, you don't treat us like this. And and, and uh, so he would encourage others as well to, to fight this by utilizing the appeal process. And uh, oftentimes you will find these people, they end up in solitary confinement. You know, Todd Ashker, he's a very well-known uh you know jailhouse lawyer with the ashker versus governor lawsuit he's been in solitary confinement for the past four years now i just went to go see him the other day and he is being held in a windowless concrete box you know and when you 
when you stop and think, when you have people that are that are hyper as it is with a brilliant mind, and then you just lock them, you know, in a windowless concrete box, bury them in a coffin, if you will. You know, and something that I want to point out as we talk about like the debriefers and, and the retaliation and everything, when we look at this, think of actual human beings, even those that have chosen to debrief and go to the sensitive needs yard. Look at them as a human being and an individual and look at CDC as the actual perpetrator of the violence and the harm and the trauma. Look at this system that would crush a man so low that would break his spirit and dehumanize him and really make him less than a man that he is now willing to bring forth false allegations against another human being just to get himself out of this condition that he finds himself in. How much different is that? than the show trials that Joseph Stalin used to purge and get rid of troublemakers in Russia. How much, how much different, Michael, is that? I mean, what's the difference there? Is there any? No, there's, there's none, because once you place a person in, in solitary, especially in the new one that they built, because you have to remember, too, it all evolved, right? Punishment, isolation evolved. It went from... Corcoran to Hatchapi where they had these big old windows to solitary confinement at Pelican Bay where now it's underground. You don't see anybody. Even the way the tiers are, you don't see people. Um, there's no windows. So I think that and more and more you're oppressed. You're sent farther up north. So if you had close ties with your family right now, you're actually being separated. And that's what they did. They separated families, too. Right. Right. So now you're being more. Um, um, sent further where your family has to pay all this money or have all these resources to go and visit you. So it's built to break you and to like literally bury you under this concrete tomb. So we've talked a little bit about the confidential informant, what may motivate them, and then also what's motivating the CDCR to utilize this. And then it's confidential. Confidential from who? Who, who who's it confidential from? That's a really good question, yeah. <laughs> because we're finding in the Ashker versus Governor lawsuit that um, the confidential informants, uh, what they're called is 1030 chronos, and those go into your central file. So they have all these little slips of paper that are making statements against you. And one thing that we found is like they can take the same individual and actually tell them what to say. They'll, they'll show them other chronos of allegations being brought forth. And we've even found that it some of it is just COs, you know, COs making the statements themselves because nowhere does it say specifically that it has to be an inmate. Um, so, so the confidential chronos, you never, and they stay in there forever as well. So like you can have a 1030 form placed into your central file from 1977 and it's, it's going to remain there. Like they stay there even if you, even if, uh, a 115 is considered a rules violation report. So even if you never get a 115 for the allegations being brought forth against you, those allegations still remain on paper in your file against you. Right. And so, you know, to a certain extent, this also kind of evokes or at least relies in part upon sort of an American slash Western European concept that once you, quote unquote, have committed a crime, you're no longer an actual person person or a citizen you've you've lost Mm -hmm. your rights so we can throw you in jail 
and we can, even though the Constitution actually says in black and white, no cruel and unusual punishment, we can cruelly and unusually punish you because you're not really a person, right? Mm-hmm. And also, it's extra blameworthy because we're going to say it was a crime that you committed. And so it was your choice, criminal inmate, right? Well, it was your choice. But the thing that's messed up about that is I would imagine, and maybe, Michael, you could speak to this. There's inmates who went in. Like, we just had Ed, Eduardo Dumbrique on, right? Mm-hmm. This was a 15-year-old who committed a crime. He didn't commit a crime. He was convicted of committing a crime, which the state itself later said, yeah, we were wrong and exonerated him. But in order to get to that place, he got put into the shoe, right? He got validated for something, and he was in there for, he said, 13 years. So my question to you is, why? What is motivating the California Department of Corrections to become the California Department of Enslavement? Oh, I'm glad you said that last piece because it's like white settler colonialism, right? Indian boarding schools assimilate, right? Assimilation, right. elimination or assimilation. If you don't if you resist, we're going to eliminate you. If you're willing to uh to conform, we're going to assimilate you, cut your hair, remove your tattoos, right? Stop speaking your indigenous Cholo language or your prison language, right? speak our language and learn learn these skills so you can be a productive citizen also like telling on other um people right so i think like that's definitely um part of the elimination process that they want to control not only the prisons but keep keep people oppressed and not only that they know that culturally not only in 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 the streets but in any culture right telling on other people snitching is considered not good right in society it's taboo um we're even taught it as kids oh don't tattletale but when you put it in in the aspects where people are actually knowingly making up stuff on other people right there's also this this choice like okay i want to get out right right? i have a choice i could either starve to death with these crazy indians (laughs) these savages the worst of the worst or i could become an assimilated person programmer right Mm -hmm. become a programmer a model inmate and possibly do good and go home, right? It's a very tough decision. I even knew some person that killed himself over it after he chose to go into um, protective custody and debrief. It, it weighed upon his heart, right? It yeah. weighed upon his mind. And it has to weigh upon people, right? Yep. Like, damn, I saved myself. I saved my own behind. But here, I put five other people inside or under for a long time. Yeah, and there's no promise that you're getting out, right? So I can imagine there's a lot of people who walked that difficult decision. And then they said, you know what? Okay, you rigged the game, so I'm going to play the game. And then they play the game, and in the end, they didn't get what it is that they said was going to happen. But I would say moreover, though, on top of all that, I think that the main purpose is what their whole first policy was, right? Snitch, pro, or die. 
they want to break people. Like, we want to make sure that you're no longer a threat to us or even to society because your own people are not going to accept you no more. So you have to become a reformist or a conformist and continue to work for us. I think that's the main point. Breaking people that are, are a challenge or a threat to them that don't want to um, conform, that are litigators, right? Mm-hmm. Or that are people organizers inside resisting against the uh, the oppressive system that they're the the conditions that they're under and not only that but as i'm looking at it and i'm thinking about what dolores was saying and to a certain extent they built facilities once the facility and the money spent then they gotta these departments have to justify the expense on top of that sorry i just want to say add in Right. Just like white settler colonialism, just like prisons for profit. Mass incarceration is for profit. Yep. Shoes are for profit because the prison guards, when they work in there, they get hazard pay. So they get like three more times than what a normal correction officer gets gets paid and perform less work because it's not an open facility. Everybody's in handcuffs. Everybody's going from one cell to another cell all they have to do is get up and turn the key and oftentimes with the with the electric doors they don't have to do that right and what's crazy about it is is that the prison guards themselves have their own inner rules about not snitching Mm, the green wall yeah right so it's so crazy you got this one group they got they're like look yes we boiled a man yesterday in a pot of boiling water but you better not say shit about it and then they turn around and tell an inmate, now listen, you want out of here? You better snitch on all your homies. It's a wild setup. It goes against their own code of conduct. Right. Yeah. Right. And so I, I've got to think that, yes, it's economic. Yes, um, the department's got to justify its existence by creating this. But I got to tell you, maybe Dolores and Michael, you can talk to this. From a psychological or an emotional point of view, as a society, if we're going to think of... America, right, as an organism, a mass organism, I have to believe that there is some sort of need and pleasure taken in knowing that there are people being tortured. Can you talk to that at all? Mm. (laughs) Yeah, well, um, you know, when you look at the mindset of, uh, of what went into building these facilities and then some that actually work there. I know during the hunger strikes, during the first hunger strike, a lot of individuals that had endured conditions of torture never spoke openly about it because they didn't want to worry the families. But then they decided, you know, we have to we have to put it out there, everything that we've been through. We have to let people know, um, you know, and we have to let the families know. And uh, some of the letters, you know, when you talk about being stripped naked in a cell, hogtied, um, you know, just the torture and the treatment and the individuals imposing this on them. I remember even something as simple as my son talked about, um, you know, there was this one CO, he used to come down and pop a soda open and uh, drink it in front of him and go, ah, you know, something as simple as that where you would think, I don't get it. Well, if you've been sitting 20 years without a carbonated drink and without a soda, say in Toha, right? Like you'll never know. You'll never understand unless you've went through that deprivation yourself. I've never gone 20 days without a carbonated <laughs> beverage. <laughs> right. But And then when you're deprived it, it's like when that craving hits, it's something that you haven't forgotten, but yet you have no access to. And then you have somebody doing that 
in front of you. So it's even like the slightest bit of torture that you wouldn't even think a big deal of, but how it could affect somebody inside. You know, and then there's the stripping naked, the hog tying, taking everything out of your cell, taking pictures of your, you know, even when they would do a cell search, taking pictures of your family, of your mom stepping on them, things like that, that people can't imagine unless they absolutely live through it, you know? But then you look at the individuals that are doing this and California especially, yeah. you know, besides America, but California gets taxpayer funding for having rehabilitation in its name. It's California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation, not California Department of Corrections and Dehumanization. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, so so that right there, mm-hmm. the tax dollars, everybody is contributing to this. So therefore, everybody should have a vested interest into how that those dollars are being spent and how people are being treated. How much more... Before we go to that, I want to say this. Um, I'm reading Eric Fromm's... Can I add one thing to that? Yes, please. Yes. I want to add, right? It's the whole... They're the worst of the worst. They're savages. Like you said earlier, they're not human, right? That's what they did to the people in the Middle East, right? Abu Ghraib, what was that? Where they showed the, Abu Ghraib. how they treated their prisoners. How do they treat the pr- prisoners in Guantanamo Bay, right? Right. So it's a it's a thing of they're savages. They're not human. We could treat the we could treat them non humanly, right? Right. Well, the interesting thing is, well, so this is what I really wanted to get at in this episode because we're talking about retaliation, and I'm reading Eric Fromm's Anatomy of Human Destruction, and this book goes in deep into explaining or trying to theorize what is it about sadism and masochism, right? What, why would a human being at the individual level want to submit themselves to the control, the absolute control of someone else? And why would somebody want to dominate or control somebody else? And the reason why I want to say that is, is I think he, he, at, a, at, a, at a societal level, at a social level, the way that I've been, what I've learned so far from you, from you guys and from the other people who've talked about solitary confinement and what went on there and how institutionalized it was. It wasn't like we had a couple of villains in the CDC that were like, oh, I, now I'm finally got my dream job and I'm going to fucking fuck up these dudes. It was actually like organized, institutionalized, um, planned, developed, researched, evolved sadism. Right. And I almost think to 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 only look at the profit aspect of it, which there is one, is kind of to let us off the hook of the deeper human thing that's going on there. And that is this, that at a social level, there is a desire by society at large, the way our country is designed. I'm not even going to put race on it. The way our country is designed, there is something about the way our country is designed that sets up a pleasure in torturing other people. We've set up full-on facilities for this. Full-on taxpayer-funded facilities for this. And, you know, as we talk about this, and we get a lot of daps, people are like, oh, great show, blah, 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 blah. And that's, you know... But that's not the same thing as really saying this has got to end. We're better than this. We're not. That's not happening. And I think it's because at a deeper level, this is serving a function that our state as an institution state needs, which is we need to control something and somebody. 
what are your thoughts, Dolores, on the psychological or the emotional need of a society to do this to someone else? Like, like I hate to have, I'm sorry, but for instance, if we put laws on the books that stopped men from beating women, let's say, in the 1950s, right? Before the 1950s or whatever it was, there was domestic abuse and nobody talked about it. And women had to just suffer, right? Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, at a, at a certain level, we say, all right, that's illegal, right? The pressure or the need or whatever that is mm-hmm. that those people had to do is that redirected and so okay fine we'll try to create villains that are going to then stand in place to take that mm-hmm. i mean what are your thoughts dolores on on how this could be happening and increasing in our so-called more civilized times well i think that there's um a lot more awareness uh there's a an organization called amend it was founded by brie williams um she's a professor of medicine at ucsf And she uh, works with the Norwegian model, and she's been bringing in other states. And one of the reasons other states are starting to get involved is because of the suicide rate amongst their correction officers, the divorce rate amongst their correction officers, the alcoholism amongst their correction officers. So I think at some times where the torturer actually becomes tortured, Right. By their own actions, because they're the ones that have to go home at night and live with this. And at some point you realize this is just not right. You know, so so I think that there's a lot to look into, even like, you know, with these organizations, take them taking them on from everything that I'm actually I'm an amend ambassador actually right now working with uh, three other states and Norway. And, uh, you know, one thing, though, that we see uh, even in other states is the resistance from the unions. So. Really, when you look at it, you know, some of these floor staff that are that are, you know, that are actually, you know, giving into the way that we're supposed to do it are being tortured themselves. If they would begin uh, to come together and, and say, you know, this is not right, if they would begin to be vocal more and um, and look at the two op- true oppresses and the powers from the unions, the unions are so powerful, um, you know, to where uh I think that um, you realize that it's a it's a torturous environment in general. I remember one time I toured Pelican Bay while there was still people in Chu. It was before they started releasing people. And it, it all felt so low, so enclosed, just the hallway. And when I went to like the little the bubble or the cop shop or whatever you call it, I will never forget when I looked into that CO's eyes, they actually looked dead. Right. And I said, this this has to bother you. I mean, you're walking in here. You know, it, it bothered me just from that short time that I was there. So being housed in these conditions as an incarcerated person and working in these conditions, it should all just be deemed as inhumane. Michael? Let's just look at the history of prisons, right, of the penal system. Um, the first prison that was built, I think, in Pennsylvania, right, they had to shut it down. It was a, literally like a torture chamber. These things, if you look at Old Folsom, you look at San Quentin, these were not meant for human beings. It all goes back to the us-them mentality, right? They're animals. They committed crime. They have no rights. They're less than human, right? Right, but, but right there. Okay, now I'm not disagreeing with that. But what I'm what I'm starting to see is is that um, the need to do that to dehumanize a group that can be targeted 
is not being born out of like racism or ignorance. It's being informed by that. But it's because that group needs somebody to suffer. They need it. Christianity, right? You're bad. You get punished, right? Punished. Well, it's what's crazy about what you just said, though, is that if I was to really look at Christ and what Christ stood for in the Bible and all that stuff, and I'm not mm-hmm. a Christian, so I'm just going to come out and say that, right? Mm-hmm. But I am going to say this. A lot of the institutionalized Christian or Christianity doesn't seem to reflect anything close to what is attributed to Christ himself, right? You have this institution. So I actually am starting to think that, like, it's empire, starting with the Egyptians and maybe before, but you've got to subjugate somebody and give them less rights because they're going to bear the brunt of all the shit. Mm-hmm. Right. Like mm-hmm. we got rich people that don't want to deal with it. But I, I think I think as a society, though, now that's supposed to be what what is that one law that I mean, that uh, Supreme Court said K, K says, and it's always famously uh, cliched, is that, you know, you, you a society is only as civil as it treats its prisoners. Right. right? That's exactly. So, so right. the thing is, we have to go from. People having drug issues, people having uh, economic issues, they're stealing or whatever because they need jobs or whatever. We have to go from punishment to healing people to looking at this more of a health issue, right? You have a drug problem. We're not going to lock you up in a cell that's going to exacerbate all your other stuff that's going to come out, right? Um, We're going to heal you. We're going to give you um, job opportunities, medical stuff, you know, um, rehabilitation, etc. without being locked up, without punishment. Why do we have to punish people? Right. I don't, I don't think you do. And, and then after you punish them so harshly, right, you say, oh, you have to pay your debt to society. I, okay, I pay my debt. I did my 19 and a half years and all that good stuff. Boom, I pay my debt to society. Why am I still being punished? Listen. Why I can't own a firearm? Why I can't vote? Why I can't? Right. That's all this correct. This record's going to stay on me for the rest of my life. It's one thing I learned, and it's mainly from people in their families. Sometimes mm-hmm. families do something for you, and you think like, well, if I just do this, I'll be able to pay them back. And there's some family members that no matter what you do, it ain't going to be enough for what they claim they did for you. And the same thing applies here. It's like, we're going to do something. You did it, and there's no way you can pay. You owe us for the rest of your life. And I agree with that. So having said that, the other half of the title is Merger Yard. Mm. What the heck is a merger Mm, yard? mm, mm, mm. (laughs) Yeah, that's been a a big thing. Uh, You know, and I feel a lot of it goes back to the end of hostilities, right? A lot of it goes back to where they had these groups that were always fighting against each other just because that's the way that it always was, you know, because of prison politics or whatever. But then when they were placed in solitary confinement and they began, you know, organizing together and uh, and coming against the, the true enemy, right, against the true, true oppressor, uh, they gained strength in unity. And so um, then, uh, you know, one of the things that, that was actually quoted by Mr. Uh, Ashkari, uh, he said, our fortitude and resolve continue to live in unity ensures that our demands to be liberated from prison will no longer fall on deaf ears as power concedes nothing without a demand. We now have the power to change the course of history with CDCR's routine parole board denials, just as we have done in building a movement around abolishing all solitary confinement units. We must begin a similar process in mobilizing our families on this very issue. 
So as they built their unity, and to this day, the end of hostility stands uh, as far as the the groups that used to be known to to not really get along that good. Um, But now with the yard mergers, which Michael Saavedra has put so much work into this, I'd really like to hand it over to him because he's put down some legal work even. So CDC is very aware of the problems that it's caused. So, Michael, you want to go ahead and yeah, talk about it? Yeah, definitely. Thank you, Dolores. Um, it's nothing new is under the sun, right? We challenge them. We beat them one way. They come another way. Job security. They have to keep these, these shoes open. They have to get their hazard pay. They have to say it's us versus them in order to uh, justify budget cuts. Oh, we can only give uh, programming to the, the uh, prisoners who program. But if you're still, you know, um, acting violent or politicking, you're not only going to lose your ability to get programming, but you're going to lose your ability to come home when you go to parole board. You're going to lose your ability to receive family visits, etc. cetera, mm. right? Mm. Um, these things all affect a person in so many different ways of their lives that it has a huge impact on us, right? Especially those of us that were part of the Ashner settlement, right? That were yeah. part of the hunger strike. Yeah. So now we're all out. Thanks to YJC, Dolores, all these other groups that have worked on policy changes for now. They're saying that, you know, they're they're looking at science. People don't really, humans don't really mature to the age of 26, right? right. So all these young people, 18, 19, that they sent to, for life who haven't even had the ability to understand, reason, the consequences of their action. People are coming home now, right? right? The board, we have a new governor, a lot of pardons, a lot of commutations. CDCR is going to be out of business. They're going to have to start shutting down prisons. Wait, wait, wait. So, so but back up. Hold on. Hold on, Danny Morrell. Back one second. Yeah, just, mm, right. No, but the merger. <laughs> what's the merger yard? What is that? Okay, so uh, yeah, right, right. I, let me explain that because yeah. it has so many different names, all these new names, right? right. Back in the days, they used to, oh, excuse, Danny Marillo. Uh, Danny Marillo. <laughs> finally got in there. Look, he's getting low. Whoa, whoa, he's getting low. A low center Cholo gravity. Stats. There we Cholo go. Stats. Cre- in this case, in this case the merger yards are a result of retaliation by CDCR. Right after the hunger strike was settled, and those that had been held in solitary confinement for 10, 15, 20, 30 years were being released from solitary confinement to general population. Right, CDCR came up with a new policy to merge those who have debriefed and went to SNY and merge them with the people that were getting out of Paddock and Beishu so that there can then be internal conflict. Got it. So, a lot of the people that have snitched in the past on those that were held in solitary are. Now that these people are being released from solitary, they're being placed in these yards with these people, and it's creating conflict, right? It's right. So, con- so, so, the guys that snitched are getting let out to people who are going to uh, enforce the rules of silence or got snitched on, so they're ensuring that there's going to be violence. Let me, let me, uh, yeah, but also you have to look at it, too, from what really happened to what they want to happen. Right? Go ahead. So... You have this, uh, so so prior to, to what Danny, uh, Mr. Murillo, just, yeah, uh, uh, yeah. creeper uh, fit, yeah, yeah defined yeah. for us, right? Yeah. You had, you, back in the 70s, 80s, there was no PC yards. I think Lucky could probably talk on this too. When he was back in the 80s, I think he was on the yards, right? right? There was no such thing as PC. If you got stabbed, you had problems, you would just ship you to for another prison. Mr. Right? and Mrs. Yeah. Earbuds, yeah. PC yards is not or a place. Hold, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. 
Because this Miss, evolved. Wait, wait Mr. This and Mrs. Mr. and Mrs. Earbuds, who the PC yard that they're talking about is not a place where you're not allowed to use racial epithets in the yard. PC stands for protective custody. Yes. Okay, go so ahead. So prior to PC yards, they did not have protective custody yards in prison whatsoever. You had to deal with your problems, right? Right. That was it. Y'all are prisoners. Y'all should deal with your stuff. We don't put another, build another prison for prisoners, right? Right. They need protection. Right. But because of the stuff that was happening, lawsuits and liability, they had to. Then they they decided to classify prisoners, prisoners who uh, were coming in convicted that were former law enforcement officers, judges, right? Dirty right. cops. People couldn't, like, high celebrity stars. And they people could. that so raped children. Rapists. Child molesters, etc. People who have been convicted of these type of crimes would also be put there because they felt that they would not be safely um, could interact with the general population prisoners. So this was something that they built and created. But then during the whole validation process and, and the um, the expansion of the shoe program and the targeting of people um, for validation, they're protective custody yards got overfilled by the debriefing process right by debriefers so in at the same time that they built pelican bay and they started filling up pelican bay they had to build more protective custody yards then there was a whole thing about different classifications of people in protective custody yards some that hey i'm not a debriefer i'm not a snitch there's even some people that are in there for um that are transgender correct like um so they can't safely be on the yard. So they're like, you know, I don't want this label of protected, right? So they changed the name to sensitive needs yard, right? They had this sensitive needs yard. But because of the overwhelming number of people that were debriefing due to the uh, extreme validation process, they had to open up a, a, a SNY yard at every single level four prison to the point where now the SNY yards outnumbered. The general population prisons. So what do they do? Right. They had to now because of everybody coming home, they're telling you, okay, you want it. You guys are programming. You want program. Then you should be able to put your prison politics aside because they think they know everybody's politics. Right. Yeah. And you should be able to live and program with a person that is a former officer, a person that's a sex offender, a person that's a a uh, snitch, what have you, or. Mm. A transgender person, right? That's interesting. You shouldn't have a problem living with them because if you're ready for society, you, that's what you're going to face. So what happened? So what happened when they started trying to do this new merger, right? Yeah. The people on the other side of the fence on the S&Y protected custody or whatever programming, uh, non-program uh, non facility, that's what NDPF, they started calling it non-program facility, non -designated right? Non-designated program facility. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many acronyms. It changes. That's what I'm saying. It, it evolves. Right. They change the name to, right. to trick people like, oh, no, this isn't protective custody. Right. This is non-designated right. programming right. facility, right? So now the people that were already over there that had protective custody needs or that are afraid for their lives they're putting these gentlemen over there that they fear i mean it's fear right it's survival sure, sure. kill or be killed uh, do i turn your gp i'm not and i told on you you're hypothetically you're coming into my space right i'm not going to turn my back on you i still have life right right I'm going to stab you. Though, but 10 years ago, he told on you. Put and, you and I'm going to talk to the other people here. Hey, bro, how do you feel about this? Nah, man, I feel nah, the same way. I'm not. I, I don't feel safe around. Let's just boobop them. Let's right, jump right. them. Yeah. So when you come, 
on the yard, they let out about five of them uh, protective custody peoples. Yeah. Drop out, and they jump on you. And the cops give them extra lunches, phone calls, tell you, thank you. We have literally documented, as far as the litigation that I've been doing and research, we have documented cases of this happening. Right. And people and it's funny because the the majority of people, not all, but the majority of people that are getting hurt, cut, almost killed are the general population people that they're bringing over. Wait, wait, wait. Then on top of that, yeah. one, one second, because this is even more important on top of that. Right. Setting them up to get beat up. Right. Then they put them in solitary confinement, charge them with assault on another prisoner. So when they go to board. Mm-mm, you're not a programming person, right? You're not ready. Right. And no visits for you. And uh, we think that you're still gang-related. So we, let's talk about keeping you back in the shoe. Let me ask you a different but question. But CDCR is releasing like on a 20 to 5 ratio. So there might be five GP, uh, you know, people. And then, uh, you know, then we're going to have, you know, 20 from the S&Y yard and put you all here. Wait, wait, wait. So, so okay. Now I can see clearly that this is contrived by the CDCR in order to create new violence, new charges. Thank you, yes. Okay, I get that. But I'm kind of curious now to find out, will there be a development where? Now, you know what? And listen, I ain't no fan of child molesters. Steve and I talk mad smack about child molesters, Michael Jackson, you name it. But I am kind of curious to hear what would happen if you sent the worst of the worst out and nobody got boobopped. And they just said, okay, well, you know, I, I'm not going to. That guy did snitch on me. And that's wrong. But you know what? F- fuck it. Let's let bygones be bygones and let's all get out of here. Is that a possibility? Like unity at that level. Look at that face. Michael, please. That's, you're, you're thinking of a utopian world. No conflict whatsoever. I don't believe that. Because you can't. Say for the other person too, I feel still feel nobody feels protected. It's still gonna feel like a setup either way. I wouldn't. Um and definitely like But 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 you, you but, could say but, that, right? You well, could wait, say wait, that. Wait, 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 wait. Before you go there, and I'm not disagreeing totally. I wanna just let's okay. we're having a real discourse here. This is real. This okay. ain't no smoke up the whatever. Here it is. I bet you there was somebody when they first did the no hostilities, the end of the hostilities, I guarantee mm-hmm. you there was reasonable people who were like, well, that's a utopia. You're going to get all those guys to agree? You're right. You're right. You're right. So I'm trying to think about if we're going... That's why you're a lawyer. <laughs> if we're going to... Listen, you're not that far away from one. Okay. So if, we, <laughs> if we're going to think about really moving the needle... Mm-hmm. We might need to end hostilities even for what we would consider traditionally. Are we prepared to our own villains to say, now, look, they're not going to be out on the street, some of these folks. Well, I think that also has to be um, trans, uh, transferred also to the streets. So I think one, yeah. thing that, one thing that I think should be taking place and that we can and should work on it, because no matter what, harm needs to be dealt with, right? Yep. People need to be held accountable. We can't just have people running around hurting people, right? Right. So people, we have to have accountability. We also have to have repair to the person that was harmed, right? Yep. So I believe in what we see out here with Dolores and other people work on it. even happens in the hood, believe it or not, is transformative justice, right? Reformative justice um, practices, right? Which are based off of indigenous practices, right? Right. So how a community holds themselves and holds other people accountable 
I think that should be up to them. And I think also those people that harmed other people should hold themselves accountable to those people. Right. So what I'm thinking about now is, and this is, I think, what I was trying to get back to uh, some of my earlier comments, is that I believe that society is structured. Right. You have these you've built a society. Mm -hmm. And I believe that how you build society, the people are like water. So let's say you build a container with different doors and trap doors and and whatever else. And then you pour a liquid water into that. That water is going to fill up different containers based on the structure of that society. You're going to have some that are up at top, some that are down at the bottom, some that leaked over to the left. Da, 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 right. So what I am saying is, is that I think the way our society is structured now is causing too much flooding at the bottom level that we have an overestimation of personal freedom right too many people think i've got all these choices and i could have done this and done that and i'm not saying this to alleviate to your point the responsibility for people who do wrong white collar criminals right they should also have to deal with whatever it is that they did accountability but they should also be reformed right we should open that up to all people to say our substantive purpose in justice is to reform or transform or help make more efficient or skillful however you want to say it so that our society as a whole isn't leaking so much because it's wasteful we're wasting minds we're wasting time we're wasting taxpayer money but those things cannot happen in a penal institution, in that environment. That has to be in a, in a more healthier environment. Well, to your point, what I'm saying is, is that the penal institution itself is a piece inside that larger container mm -hmm. of the United States. The way the United States was built, it's got a big, huge-ass, leaky uh, yep. correctional thing going on. Sewer system. Crap. Ex exactly, <laughs> right? And so all of this great fresh water, spring water, alkaline water is getting channeled into these bad ways. That's human energy, really, if you think about it. Prisons, corporations, schools, public spaces. Imperialism. All of that are actually, you know, little doors and channels for human energy. And you get a certain amount over here and you get a lot over there. So what I'm saying is, is we're losing. We're wasting. Because... I got to believe that the people that are in that piece that is the penal system at every level, right? I know this sounds crazy, but I got to believe that they have some insights and knowledge and thoughts that are useful to society. And I think that, like, I think right now we're at the way things have been in the last hundred years, we're at, like, the best it's ever going to get now. There's no more like, well, we can keep it the same and we're going to still keep advancing. I don't see that at all. I see we've hit a wall in the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. And so something as fundamental as, okay, what's crime and punishment? What's justice? Right. How are we using our discretion, our judgment as leaders or just regular folks? How are we going to switch these concepts and the constructs of society so that we don't have all this leakage of this great human energy because we all can benefit from it. And we're all going to need to row together in the future. It's going to get harder and harder. It was easy to win back in the day. 
Because the United States could just say, we got more missiles than you, right? But now we're fighting Russian trolls, and we got all this other kind of crazy stuff. We can't fight like we used to. Mm, yeah. What do you, yeah, go ahead, Dolores. I think that, you know, to your question as, like, what if they just merged and, and you know, everything was copacetic? And I, I think a lot of it... When you stop and think of how, you know, the S&Y yards and the protective custody yards come with a long, you know, there's it's stigmatized, right? Because these are individuals that have chosen to be even some of them so far as like little junior IGI agents, you know, police officers themselves. Right. Um, so they've taken on this role. And, and so, you know, now when you're saying let's cohabitate and live happily ever after, in some cases, like in the case of Renee Enrique's example, he was just given another date by board. He's written several books. You know, it's a proven fact. Uh, that, you know, he, his family members have been paid $50,000, you know, for some of his testimony. He's been offered a job with law enforcement should he parole. But yet he is a rapist. Let's remember he is a raci- rapist. So according right. to California law, he would have to register as a sex offender. But then you're saying you're going to put him in the witness protection program. So is California governor willing to break their own laws, right? So I think when you look at the stigma and and just the harm that's been caused, and then you say, let's just all live happily ever after. Well, first, I, first I think there needs to be some stuff that you work out, right? First of all, CDC needs to change their debriefing policy, yeah. for one. Yeah. That you can't just expect this to work without CDC really cha- You want to change things? Let's change it for the real and for one of them their debriefing policy needs to be abolished before they can expect people to live happily ever after and the way that I can prove you have Michael Thompson uh, for instance he is a very very well known debriefer they made documentaries about him Governor Newsom himself gave him accolades because he was a a changed individual because he provided information on other people in prison. So he was found worthy of parole because he he um, he did the dog and pony show. He did the dance. right? Right. He was now, you know, accredited as to be even law enforcement himself. He was held in such high esteem. Well, he was recently paroled, granted parole, and caught up with another individual, Eric uh, Hutchinson, that he made that he made friends with on the sensitive needs yard, the protective custody yard, the yard that's worthy of redemption, according to CDC, mm. and was literally caught up and arrested in the largest EDD scandal. Uh, he had fraud that accounted to 1.5 million loan fraud. He had fraud frauding other people for over $400,000. Now, these are the allegations being brought forth against him, which would totally debunk CDC's um, CDC's, you know, confidential informant debriefing policy and practice that this is how I prove to you that our way is the only way. Well, this is how I'm proving to you that their way is not the only way and should not be the only way. And until they're willing to change that, why should they expect people in prison to all of a sudden start getting along when they're the ones that started all the problems in the first I'll place? I'll tell you why, Dolores, and that's a great challenge. That's an excellent point, and I'll tell you why. Because you got to take the initiative in your own hands. You're right. You're, hey, okay, you're, let me on the yard, and I let's will. Let's go. You know? I'll go in the yard with you. I w- we would be let's willing go. to. All right. Tell them to let us in. But I'm, I'm telling you, if you wait for the oppressor to change their tactics, it ain't gonna happen. That's a sad fact, and it ain't fair. That it ain't. Sorry to tell you, it ain't fair. But if you want to be a leader, 
If you want to stop having the foot on your neck, you got to get up off the ground. And that means sometimes unfairly policing yourself and saying, you know what? I don't like that. And you know what, Dolores? You're touching on a great thing because, you know, sexual violence, rape and child molestation, I don't think there's really many people in many categories that will ever say like, okay, well, that's cool. That's just another version. It's not. And we got to deal with it. Right. But I actually think that 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 the the inmates themselves should they should they want to have the power to deal with it in a much more civil way to say I don't agree with that that's wrong and it's got to stop but I'm not going to take the law into my own hands and do something about it right here so that the CDC can say see see well I mean what are we going to do they're savages I actually think that. Um, and this is a, t- a topic for a much uh, different show to a certain extent. But this is why I'm saying that. I think about that as an American Indian, Dolores. Okay? Right. I think about that all the time, yeah. right? I go, why should I? I feel, in my marriage sometimes, my wife, I go, why should I? What about you? But then I say to myself, am I a leader or not? Right. Leaders don't cry and wait. For someone else to initiate the change. And I believe that there there actually is leaders that would be willing to take the initiative, but CDC is choosing to lead in this and it's like you do as we say and, and they're they're you know orchestrating the moves. They're in charge of the moves instead of looking to leadership, instead of holding why prior to this, why didn't they have people like Michael Saavedra or Danny or myself? Why didn't they have formerly incarcerated people that are successful without choosing to utilize their debriefing process go in there and hold circles? Hold communication circles prior that, look, the only way we're going to get out of this is to rise above. I agree. I want to add one thing to that. Go ahead. Because of the uh, end of hostiles agreement, what happened when leaders tried to end the hostilities on the streets of South Central L.A., right? Right. Between black and brown. What did they do to Doc? Yeah. Right. They recalled them up and put them in prison. They don't want peace. They don't want to see us getting along. But I don't care what they want to see. I want to see. We all have a shared history. We all have a shared compassion. We all have a shared struggle. And we need to uh, step it up one more time. And I'm not saying anything negative. I, I see the end of hostilities. To me, I think about that day and night as innovative. I think about that and I go, God bless those dudes. Do that. Also remember that little part in there, if Dolores will, that we have to be uh, aware and, and fight against uh, infiltrators and uh, debriefers, people who are snitches and, and um, working with the uh, with the system. You know what? The uh, We have to be vigilant. Hey, they you say. know what? Sorry. It's such a corrupt. It's so corrupt. Listen, it's just so corrupt, and I'm telling you, man, it's going to have to get dismantled a piece at a time as it's getting dismantled. Sure. Abolish everybody, it. Right, <laughs> abolish. Sure. Finally, we got people to listen to strikes and hunger strikes, mm-hmm. and now they're out of the shoe, right? Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. But as soon as you get out of the shoe, they got 10 other things they've swarmed Confidential on. informant. Right. right. To lock you back down. So for every win... They got five mm-hmm. more right. wars for yes. you to get past, right? I got it. <laughs> and it's so Strategy. corrupt that it's going to have to take more people to dismantle this thing at a quicker pace. Listen, mm-hmm. I agree with that. I'm not disagreeing with that. But I'm saying that means you got to turn up the heat. Yes. Right? Man back. 
And I'm going to tell you something else. Sun Tzu. Right? Sun Tzu, the art of war. Art of war, right? We did a whole audio book on it. Y'all should have invited me, man. Man, you're coming <laughs> for the, the, the five rings, the samurai. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Okay. Don't worry about okay. that. We got you. I'm on. Uh, but the issue of this is one of the things that Sun Tzu talked about in dealing with spies, informant mm. infiltrators, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sun Tzu said, you know what? Take care of them. Pay them, set them up nice, and turn them. Disseminate false information through them, too. <laughs> That's exactly right. And, and he oh, says right. in the Art of Man. War that to take care of these relationships, yes. they could be the most vital. Right? Mm. That's right. Mm. So we got to look at the infiltrators and understand these are hungry dogs. And like you mm-hmm. said, you can put false information through them and or you can turn them. Make them brothers. And tell them, you know what? Since you did debrief, we have some people we're fighting this policy in court and and cases that they're trying to, uh, you know, hold people in in solitary for. Would you be willing to say, you know what, I'm going to write an affidavit and go to court and say, you know what? I lied about everything I said. Right. Let's do uh, this. This is hey. what they do to us. They make us lie. Yeah. yeah. You want to be Right. Hey, how about that? That's perfect, and Michael. I think if they really care about social justice and want to be accepted back into the community, yes. that's something to right that's step. Something they can and you do. know what? Right. That's the, listen, that's the final act of debriefing. You debriefed for the CDC, now finally debrief about how the, the whole people. shit how really works. People. That's right. Debrief for the right. people. Debrief, debrief for, for the people. people. You heard it here first. <laughs> Dolores Canales. Yeah. Brilliant mind. Your information. All right. Thank you very <laughs> debrief much. Debrief for the you people. So debrief for the people. That's right. <laughs> well. <laughs> yeah, let's use a different word. I just really like uh, uh, the ramp up. And I think that uh, you know when you talk about us... Turning up the heat. Yeah. That's also a direct order for us. Yeah. In the studio. Mm. That we've got to continue to turn up the heat on these shows and awareness. Yeah. Um, Look for uh, Savage Savage of Volume mm. 1 through 10. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Danny Marilla's got a lot more up his too. And bro. also look for Gorilla Marilla on Volume 1 through 10. <laughs> <laughs> No, I think this this is this is a uh, uh, fabulous. Dolores implores us, yeah. volume one through ten. <laughs> yes. yes, yeah, this is a great show. Very heated conversation. I right? love it. Yeah, Danny, you got anything to add? Uh, a few things, right? But um, oh, I, I would say that uh, <laughs> um, we got to do volume it, five. And one of the things that um, Schumacher talked about the way this um, prison system has evolved, right? I think, and and also the way we always need someone, uh, a specific people. To hold as um, as an excuse to to oppress, right? Um, that has evolved from the history of this country, right? Like you know, from the arrival of the pilgrims, right? The first you know people that that were um, you know targeted was indigenous people, right? The expansion of um, what we call the U.S. United States of America to the West, you know, we had to invade Mexico, so we had to also target Mexicans, right? Another reason that Mexico was targeted was because it was accepting black people that were running away from the plantation system, right, to into Mexico because it was a free country, right? Right. So a, a lot of these systems, you know, the, the, what we have today, the prison system has evolved from, you know, from from the beginning of the foundation of this country, right? So it, it's nothing new; it's just di- different iterations that happen at different times, right? Right. 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 And where will you be speaking next, uh, Mr. Marillo? Uh, obviously, uh, uh, Danny Marillo, conversations with La Raza. How are we? Where are you going with all this? Do you got what's coming up? Um, I am working on a conference that we're organizing in Tijuana with folks that are doing uh, work with people that are being deported. 
um, some some organizations here in the U.S. that are doing work with people that are being deported to Mexico. Yeah. We're, we're organizing with people in Mexico that are supporting deportees and refugees that are coming from Central America. Right. So we're trying to organize a conference in Tijuana to figure out ways how to support these people. Awesome. That's great. Savage Savage, what you got coming up? We're doing, uh, now that the pandemic is pretty much over and stuff is opening up, it's not over, of course, but um, we're going to start our free legal clinics, community legal clinics at Chuco's Justice Center in South Central every first and fourth Saturday. People want to get their records expunged, get the records cleared, need help with a family member inside that needs help with appealing their case. Nice. Hey, hey, you know what? Uh, When that gets up and running, hit up the show and we'll come down there and do a show from there and I'll do some legal stuff. Oh, dude, I'll help tell people how to expunge stuff right there. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. let's go. Let's do it. All right, very good. Yeah, Uh, Miss Canales. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, well, we want to continue on with some more podcast series, and then we also want to create a video as an organizing tool for solitary survivors to be able to use as a platform to take into universities, churches, and to present before the legislators and show the success stories of solitary survivors. So, And we're also launching our website, AbolishSolitary.org. Awesome. Wow. Can we say congratulate you on your big announcement? Oh, yeah, and then we have a wedding coming up in July. <laughs> Jack Morris and myself, uh, he spent 40 years in prison, 30 years in solitary confinement, and then Danny Murillo actually introduced us. Oh, and, my so, and I was yeah. there. I was there the day they met, and she gave him a ride home, and they ended up at the beach. I seen the video. <laughs> oh, she <laughs> gave yeah. him a ride home. No, she gave him a ride home, all right. No, I didn't. Gentleman Jack. Gentleman Jack. Jack Morris. No way, like. No way. We were just like best friends, like of really course, hanging out for, for a long course. time. Of course. Everything first. was up yeah. above and board. He's called Gentleman Jack and for your lady Canales. Everybody knows yes. that. But Doña Canales, lo siento. It's only <laughs> chistes. Solamente chistes. But we're going to uh, we're gonna get married in July. And we want we chose July because it all started in July. So oh, in honor yeah. of like the hunger strikes and everything, we're going to ask everybody to go on a hunger strike. No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> so as a result, you won't have to serve any food at the wedding. <laughs> <laughs> save money, save money. No, we're going to have mariachis and dancing. And Jules Lobel, uh, who you had on your show yeah. last week, he's going to actually perform the ceremony. He's registered to marry people. Oh, and, um, yeah. And Danny Murillo is the ring bearer, right? <laughs> yeah. He's the ring boy. And Juan Mendez uh, will be in the United Kingdom, but he'll be joining us through Zoom. So we have a few people that have really worked, you know, just dedicated their whole lives to ending solitary confinement that are being. Well, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Right. Because a lot of people I know that are married might say marriage is solitary confinement, but that's mm-hmm. obviously not the case in your guys' right. union, right? It's 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 togetherness freedom. Yeah, togetherness yeah. freedom. I think with that, <laughs> that's it. We're going to wrap it up. Hey, hasta la vista. That's and adios it for now. From, the, uh, from the Hard Luck Show. Listen, that's the.
Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.